and the prosecuting attorney gets up and he starts off with his first question and is, is it true that you were paid $5,000 to compromise this case? The witness just stares out the win window as if he hadn't heard the question. The prosecuting attorney again asks, is it true that you were paid $5,000 to compromise this case? Again, the witness just stares out the window if he hasn't heard the question. The, the judge eventually looks down and says, sir, you're going to need to answer the question. And startled, the witness looks up to him and said, oh, I thought he was talking to you. <laughs> so while that's a, a kind of a funny little story, sometimes I think as Christians, we do the same thing. At least I know I've been guilty of it. Sit in the service, you hear um, a sermon, you go, boy, that was a great sermon. I hope so-and-so was listening to it. So I'd encourage you tonight as we look at a very familiar passage, probably one that you've heard many times before, to, to ask the Lord to o open your eyes and help you get something out of this tonight. Tonight we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Many of you recognize the scripture as the, the Great Commission. Again, it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a very simple command, really, and yet very few people are doing that today. According to a recent Gallup poll, only 4% of Christians that were surveyed, people that said that they professed to be Christians, said they'd actually witnessed to one of their friends. 4%. Even if the study was wrong and it was twice that, and it was 8%, that's still fairly low. There could be many reasons why people don't share their faith. could have to do with the cost of sharing the gospel, the, the, the time and the energy it takes to prepare, the time and energy it takes to actually invest in someone's life, um, the, the risk of embarrassment, rejection, or even persecution, and in general, it can complicate your life. To others, maybe it's that, that they don't know how to witness efficiently. So the remainder of the time that we have tonight, I'd like to take a look at some very practical things that you need to do in order to prepare to share your faith. Um, some of you might know that um, Danny Neighbors and I are taking some classes through um, the Arkansas District this fall. Uh, the first one is going to be on evangelism. And so for tonight, I borrowed some of the material from the book that we're reading for the first class called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Heidel. But I'm willing to scratch the surface of some of the content in that book. So if you if you get something out of this tonight or you want to dig deeper, I'd encourage you to grab a copy of that book and read through it. So as part of that book, the authors use a formula to kind of talk about this idea of, of uh, being an effective evangelism. I know some of you guys are probably math and science people saying, yes, the formula. And some of you that maybe aren't that way are like, oh, formula. So I'd encourage you, though, to hang with me. It's a really simple formula. It's this, HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. It's HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. So we'll start with the end result, the equals MI. The MI stands for maximum impact. And this is referring to the, the idea that we want to have a maximum impact on the people that are around us. And then going back to the beginning of the things that add up to that maximum impact, starting with HP. HP stands for high potency. This is the idea of having a strong enough concentration of Christ in our lives that it would be a presence in our lives that would be undeniable to the people that are around us. The next part, plus CP. CP stands for close proximity. Th this, is, this refers to the idea 
of that we have to get close enough to the people that we're trying to reach in order for God, Christ to have his um, for Christ's power to have his intended effect on them. The last part of it, the plus CC, the CC stands for clear communication. And this is simply giving a clear communication of the gospel um, to the people that we're trying to reach. Hopefully I'm not wrong in saying that everyone in here would want to make a maximum impact on their society. So I'm going to go ahead and skip that. And tonight I'm going to try to focus on um, uh, high potency and clear communication. And then be sure to come back next Wednesday night and uh, Danny's going to be talking about clear communication. So let's get into high potency. For that, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Some of you might recognize this from the Sermon on the Mount. If you're in the men's Bible study, we went through this not that long ago. It reads like this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, but a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So tonight, for the high potency and for clear communication, we're just going to focus on the first part of that, looking at the salt metaphor. So have you ever read through that and thought like I have, why salt? Why did he choose salt? There's several reasons why he might have. Um, one would be salt makes you thirsty. So as Christians, maybe we're supposed to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and live lives with a sense of purpose, with a sense of peace, with a sense of joy, and that will often cause a spiritual thirst in the people around us. Maybe it's because salt can spice things up. It can add a zing to that bland cup of soup. And as Christians, uh, sometimes we can catch people off guard with their seemingly radical viewpoints and add some spice to their lives. Maybe it's because, not so much today, but uh, back before refrigeration, salt was used primarily as, as a preservative. So maybe it's trying to say that as believers, we should live Christ-honoring lives to hold back the decay of society. So, as, uh, so salt can stimulate thirst. It can excite the taste of uh, things can hold back decay. And each of these could probably be a sermon in its own right. But tonight I'd like to look at perhaps a less obvious reason why he might have used the salt metaphor. In order for salt to have its intended effect, regardless of how you use it, it has to be potent enough to have an effect. See, back in, back in the biblical days, they didn't have a way to refine salt like we do today. So it wasn't the pure salt that we'd find like in a table salt today. It was often salt that was mixed with other minerals. So as they would use it, say, as a preservative and pack it around meat, the, the meat would actually soak up that salt, leaving just the minerals, and the salt would lose its saltiness. So the, the purer the salt was that you were using as a preservative, the more potent it was, the, better, the, the more effect it had on the meat and the longer it would take to spoil. And that's exactly what we need to do as Christians if we're going to have an influence on the people outside the church. We must be people of high potency, which means that we have to have a strong enough concentration of Christ's influence in our lives that his power and his presence is undeniable to others and that can have his desired effect on other people. In order to become highly potent, there's some characteristics that I would like to look at tonight. I'm going to look at three just for the sake of time. First one's going to be authenticity. Second one's going to be compassion. The third one's going to be sacrifice. 
So start with authenticity. I don't know about you, but it's not a word that I hear often. So I said, let's start with the dictionary. So I pulled open a dictionary, flipped over to authenticity, and it said, the quality of being authentic. And I was like, that didn't help much. <laughs> so I flipped over to authentic, and it says, it's uh, being real, genuine, not false, not a copy. So it's the quality of being real. It's the quality of being genuine, the quality of not being a copy or a fake. It's just being you. It's being real from the inside out. It's being forthright about your failures. It's living like you mean it. If we're merely Christians in name only, then we're liable to get titles such as hypocrite. And that can be one of the insurmountable barriers to people coming to know Christ. They can, they can take a look at a hypocrite and they can say, well, if that's what being a Christian is, then I don't know that I want to be one. Or if that's what a Christian is, I don't know that I need to be one because they're pretty much the same. He just calls himself a Christian and I don't. So it can be an insurmountable barrier for people coming to know Christ. So how do we become these authentic Christians? Unfortunately, don't have anything profound to share with you tonight. It's really just the, those basics of Christianity. It's the reading and feeding on God's truth daily and applying it to our lives. It's spending time in prayer. It's rubbing shoulders with other contagious Christians, whether through a service, whether through a small group or through a, cl a Christian club that you're a part of. It's through serving and contributing in a biblically functioning church. It's through actively sharing your faith and in general, disciplining our, your life to uh, sustain saltiness. Like I said, nothing radical, nothing profound here. It's really just doing those basics in life. But if you aren't doing those basics, I'd encourage you to start. And start so embarrassingly small that you'll do it regardless of, uh, of the sacrifice. Even if it's just five minutes a day, I'd encourage you to start reading your Bible and praying daily. The second characteristic of a contagious Christian is compassion. I don't know about you, but the people I interact with on a daily basis, it's not always easy to have compassion on them. Um, but... Uh, if, you, I mean, if, you if you take a second and you think about it on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate yourself on the compassion scale? Uh, this, but the compassion is an important thing. See, compassion has a tremendous pulling power on people. And God wants to use that to draw people to him. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so, so you must love one another. All men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And love is just a form of compassion. So there's several things that you can do, several things that um, can affect your compassion level. We're going to take a look at three of those tonight. The first one is how you live. Some people try to live an unhealthy healthy pace of life. They, they get too busy with their schedules, and they start saying, well, I'm too busy to witness my friend. I'm too busy to read my Bible today. I'm too busy to spend time in prayer today. And I think I heard on the radio at one point uh, uh, just a little clip that said, if you're too busy for God, then you're probably busier than he ever wanted you to be. And it's just something that's really simple, but something that's really profound. If you're too busy for God, then you're busier than he ever wanted you to be. If this is you, I'd encourage you to make some time. Spend some time in prayer. Ask God what priorities, how you need to reprioritize your life, or the things that need to change, things that maybe need to go. And as you slow down that pace of life, as you spend the time with God that you need to, you will not only grow in your relationship with God, but you will also find that you're growing in your compassion level for those that are around you. Another thing that can limit your compassion level is how you give. See, some people are natural in their giving of compassion. And not just financially, it could be their time, their energy, their, their, 
their stuff. And they're, they're people that just give and give and give and give and give. But they never learn that meticulous balance between caring for others and caring for themselves. And if they don't care for themselves and they're just constantly giving and giving and giving, they often find themselves nearing or burning out. If this sounds like you, I'd encourage you to follow an example, uh, follow the example that Jesus did. You see, Jesus would go out into the communities. He would go out and minister for periods of time. But eventually he would hit a point where he'd essentially say, enough is enough, I'm going up to the mountain to pray. I'm going up to the mountain to be alone and to recuperate. So if this is you, I'd encourage you to follow that model. If, if you give and give and give, continue to give, but also remember to make that time to go up to the mountain and spend time with God, spend time to recuperating. Another thing that can limit your compassion level is how you receive. This one's fairly simple, so won't spend much time on it. But it's basically the idea of constantly absorbing um, the gifts from God, but never taking time to give them back out. The, see, God has God given us all gifts, whether it's the gift of salvation, the gift of guidance, forgiveness, answer prayer, miraculous provisions, miraculous healings. But if we're always taking that in, but never giving it out, we'll find that we are stunting our spiritual growth and our compassion level will, will um, be um, stunted as well. So the first characteristic we looked at was authenticity. Second one, compassion. The third one we look at is sacrifice. So why sacrifice? Because sacrifice moves people. It melts them. It makes people say, why would you do that for me? See, we live in a self-absorbed culture. And so any selfless act that we do stands out in sharp contrast to that culture. Sometimes authenticity will fail to grab somebody's attention. Sometimes compassion will just be written off as they're just do-gooders. But sacrifice is incredibly hard to discount. So there's three things that we can do that are very simple in the area of sacrifice. The first one is maximizing the moments. This is about making time for people. In, in our today's culture, we often hear, the, happen, hear it said that time is money. And so when we sacrifice our time, it makes a big impact on people. In fact, most people underestimate the effect that it could have on people if we would just give people some time, if we would just take time to maybe take that coworker out for a cup of coffee and say, how's your day going? How's your family? Just making time for other people. Second thing we can sacrifice is resources. In an age where when people are intoxicated with the desire for more money, for more material goods, all we have to do to raise a seeker's eyebrows is put their material needs above our own. This could be if someone, if there's been a house fire, giving up uh, some of your possessions to that, per that person. If it's a single mother not able to make her water bill, maybe just giving her $50 for the water bill. Any, any of these can raise seekers' eyebrows. The third way is by modeling over the long haul. This is about living a consistent, godly lifestyle. There's a lot of people in society that are spiritual skeptics. They, they go around and they're basically judging us, they're scoring us, they're saying, how consistent, are they to, how consistent are they to what they're saying versus how they're living? And oftentimes we don't even know that they're doing this. There are, there are people around us, there, there are probably more people around us than we tend to think. They, they tend to keep score of our moral and consistent moral and spiritual consistencies and inconsistencies than we often realize. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect all the time, but it's about being consistent over that long haul. 
sometimes even when we mess up, it can be, a, and we're, we're honest about it, and we're transparent about it, it can have even a greater impact on people around us. So looking at high potency, I'd summarize it this way. It means doing those basics of Christianity, reading our Bible and praying daily, going to church, developing those characteristics of authenticity, of compassion and sacrifice, so that we have a strong enough concentration of Christ's influence in our lives that his power and his presence is undeniable to the people that are around us. Let's take a look at close proximity. Looking back again at the metaphor of the salt from Matthew chapter 5. So we looked at it and we looked at it from the standpoint that it has to be potent enough to have an effect. But let's take another look at it. Salt also has to be close to what it's trying to have an effect on. You could have a salt shaker on the table during an entire meal, but at least you take time to take it out and get it close enough to the food. It's not going to have the desired effect on the food that you may want. If you're trying to use it as a preservative, you could have a whole dump truck full of salt sitting next to some meat you're trying to preserve, but unless you take that salt out and get it close enough to the meat to have an effect, the meat's still going to spoil. The same thing is true with Christianity. If we want to have a maximum impact on the people around us, we're going to have to get close to them. Let's take a look at John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. It says this, I have given you, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your, your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus says that we are, not, we are not, to be, um, not to be of this world. And sometimes people take that out of context and say that we shouldn't associate with uh, unbelievers. But I think verses 15 through 18 really demonstrate the, quite the opposite. It says, my prayer is, that, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And Jesus was sent to seek and to save the lost. And we are, sent as to, we are sent for the exact same reason. And if we look at Jesus' ministry, we see, we see a few examples of people coming to Christ, seeking him out, and having their lives transformed. And in the same way, here at New Song, we'll see people occasionally come to New Song and uh, have their lives transformed. But we see a far more people in Jesus' ministry where he seeks them out, where he befriends them, and their lives are transformed. An example of this would be Zacchaeus. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole story. But um, Jesus is, is walking with a crowd of people, and Zacchaeus is up in a tree. He comes up to the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to ha- go have dinner. And after a leisurely meal and a few hours of conversation, Zacchaeus' life is changed miraculously. It's transformed from the inside out. The people that he'd wronged, he said, I'll give back to them four times. How, in the amount that I'd wronged them. In the same way that Jesus took time out to befriend a sinner, to see them transformed, we have to take time out. Uh, we have to take time out to befriend unbelievers so that we can share the gospel with them and watch their lives get transformed. There's one important aspect to this, and that's to be sure that as we're out there befriending people, that they aren't the ones pull, exerting more influence over us, but we're the ones exerting more influence over them. It's far easier for them to pull us down to their level than it is for us to pull them up to ours. And that's why it's 
very important that we're grounded in the Word. We're spending the time on the Word. We're spending the time praying. We're spending the time preparing as we're going out to befriend. So as we look for the people that, that we could have an influence on, we're going to look at three groups of people in our sphere of influence. You see, God might call you to pick up and move to uh, Washington to, to minister to someone to see the life transform, but it's far more likely that he's going to call you to someone that's already in your sphere of influence to have an, influ- to have an impact on them. So we're going to look at three groups of people. The first one are the people that you know. These are people that already have a relationship with. These are people that already have, uh, uh, that already listen to you, that already have trust in you. People, people that fall in this group may be family members, coworkers, people maybe that you go to school with. And most of us underestimate the effect that it could have if, on their eternity if we just took time out of our schedule to schedule a breakfast or a lunch with these lost people in our influence. And while we were at that appointment, while we were at that meal, we took the risk to share with them a clear message of, of Christ and our testimony with those people, what, a, what an impact it could have on their lives. The second group of people are people that you used to know. These are people that maybe you used to go to high school with, maybe you used to go to college with, people that you used to have rapport with. And I don't know about you, but people like this in my life, they're people that used to say, hey, let's keep in touch. And we probably mean it for the best, and, but life just gets too busy and we don't. But what would happen if we were to call them up and we were to say, hey, let's get together and catch up, let's have dinner. And then we... You get together, you catch up, you talk about family, jobs, maybe kids. And at the end of it, you say, hey, there's one more thing I want to tell you about. Since we last met, I found, I found Jesus, and he changed my life. And you go on to share your testimony. Imagine the impact that could have on those people. The third group of people I like to look at are people that you would like to know. The authors of the book coined a term for this, I'm going to steal shamelessly. They call it contagious consumerism. The idea of this is building rapport with people that you interact with on a semi-regular basis, but you don't really know anything about. This could be the waitress at that restaurant that you go to once a week. It could be the people in a club that you're a part of. It could be that cashier at Walmart that if they're working, you always go down their line. It could be the, the owners of a dry cleaner that you visit once a week. In general, the people that you interact with on a semi-regular basis, but you don't really know anything about. And the basis for this, this type of outreach is uh, found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, where it reminds us, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. The first step in this approach is to stop looking at these people as people that are there to serve us, but instead see them as God sees them. They're people that Jesus died for, people that, um, uh, that Jesus loves, people that if we don't intervene in their lives, they're very likely not to spend eternity in heaven. And so once we start looking at them this way, we can start building rapport with them. We can start finding out, you know, basic things. Find out their name. Find out about their family. Find out about their, how their day is going. Build rapport with them. And this is not a, a quick process. This is often a long and time-consuming process. So we have to be committed for the long haul. But the, the results are far worth it. So close proximity is what we need as Christians if we're going to influence people. We need to get close to people 
that we're hoping to reach in order to, in order to allow his power to have his attendant effect on people. And once we get to that point, then we're ready to share that message with them. And for that, uh, I encourage you to come back next Wednesday night where Danny's going to talk about how to actually do that clear communication. So in closing, if Ken, if you want to come back. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said that, we, that salt without savor is inferior and worthless. It's lost its power. It won't create much thirst. It at, won't add much spice to life. It won't slow down much decay. It can have all sorts of proximity, but unless it can have all sorts of proximity, but if it lacks potency, it's useless. Jesus said, Jesus said it that you should just throw it out and stomp it, or, trump it, stomp it underfoot. The opposite is also true. You can be highly flavored. You can be industrial strength salt. But if we don't have proximity, then we're just a salt shaker sitting on a table. We're just a table ornament. So at the time that we have left tonight, I didn't, uh, I, the time that we have left tonight, I'm going to go ahead and open the altars or make an altar where you're at. And I'm going to read a few questions here in a second. I just encourage you to ponder those and to think about how they, how they may apply to your life. So the first question, are there things in your life that are limiting your potency? If so, come to the altar. Ask God to help you get rid of those. Are there things in your lives that you aren't doing that you need to start, such as daily prayer or daily Bible reading? If so, there's no time like the present. Come to the altars. Take time to pray. Make a commitment, even if it's just five minutes a day, and ask God to help you keep that commitment. Maybe you're a long way down the path of a Christ-honoring relationship, and your life reflects it. You're highly potent, but you don't have the proximity. If, if that's you, I encourage you to come to the altar. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to be more than a table ornament. Ask Him to give you a burden for the lost. Ask him to show you the people that he wants to make a, wants you to get close to to make a difference in their lives. Maybe neither of those apply to you. Maybe you already have high potency. Maybe you already have that close proximity. But this can still apply. The altar call can still apply to you. Take time to pray for those people that you're build, trying to build rapport with. Ask God to set up divine appointments so that you can share the faith with them. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Uh, I'm not going to have a formal dismissal tonight. Just when the Lord releases you, feel free to go. Dear Jesus, thank you, Lord, for, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to get together and to learn more about you. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people of high potency and that you would help us, Lord. Father, burn, burden us, Lord, with what burdens your heart. Help us, Lord, to get close to people that we could have a desire to affect on them. Help, Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, by setting up divine appointments, Lord, that we can share our faith with people. In your name we pray. Amen. Altars are open. Come on, let's all find a place to pray tonight.